Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and happy Halloween. Welcome to We Watched a Thing. You've got Billy and Topher. How you doing, mate? Fine, thank you. How is your good self? Oh, mate, really good. I'm under 90 kilos for the first time in adult memory. I watched some very good movies on the weekend. And one of my favourite twee bands is re-releasing one of their albums on vinyl. So, I've pre-ordered that. So, that's fun. (laughs) Mate, it's all come up Billy. Everything. Everything, mate. (laughs) And also, this guy I really used to not like working with has left. So, that's also really nice. Oh, that's a win too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. I I still have to talk to him every now and then because we do this thing, this podcast thing. But apart from that, it's good. I see what you're doing there, mate. (laughs) You character. Oh, mate. (laughs) Uh, How how have you been apart from that sick burn that I just delivered you? Oh, it's hard to say. I may never recover. (laughs) Yeah, look, I've also done a bit of movie watching. Um, Not as successful as you've been by the sounds of it. I was uh, the other night, I was flicking around on Netflix and- I, I don't know why, but I couldn't help myself when I came across Demolition Man. <laughs> that is a weird oh. thing to not be able to help yourself on. I I can't explain it. Um, but if you're wondering, it's terrible. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we're not here to talk about Demolition Man this week, though, are we? Well, I can. <laughs> All right, yeah, sure. Give it, give us, give us your quick wrap up. Don't rewatch Demolition Man. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to title this episode "Ready or Not" slash Demolition Man. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> I will. <laughs> uh, All right, because what we are talking about is "Ready or Not," which is an American black comedy horror film directed by Matt Bittinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette from a screenplay by Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy. It stars Samara Weaving. Niece of Hugo Weaving. That's right. Cam Barron, mate. Well, lived here for like five years. Yeah, mate. She went to school here. Her formative years. Okay, we'll claim her. She's ours. Yeah, yeah. Friend of the podcast. (laughs) Mark O'Brien, Adam Brody, Henry Cerny and Andy McDowell. And what's it about, Toph? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the origin story of Harley Quinn. How much does she look like- um... Oh, fuck. (laughs) I've forgotten her name. You know the one. Oh, jeez. Tell me her name, please. Margot. Right. How much does she look like Margot Robbie? When I first saw the trailer for this, I thought it was Margot. I actually did the exact same thing. Yes. She is like a spitting image. Uh, Yeah. Fun fact, international listeners, all Australians look like that. (laughs) They're all extremely attractive blonde women. (laughs) That's your average Australian. Even Topher and I, we might not sound like it. We look like that. (laughs) We are both slim blondes. (laughs) So we got this film really, really late. Uh, Came out August twenty one. Everywhere else, we, oh, we is that right? just got it. Yeah, um, but movie was made for six million dollars. That's a nice low budget, isn't it? Yeah, and I tell you what, it's a 
good-looking $6 million film. Oh, mate, they spent their money wisely. It is, it, of course, made it made its money back on its opening weekend. It's up to $53 million, which is, I think, a little low. Given how, oh, mate, that's good. But like, we we can. I think we can get a bit caught up in the numbers that things like Marvel films do. Like, that's that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And and when you look at the you know the budget it was made off, that that's a very very healthy amount, um, which I'm really happy to see because I I would love to see more from from these writers and directors. What is this movie about, Billy? Uh, it's it's about family, really. Um. It's about a young woman who marries into a wealthy family and she finds out on the night of the wedding that she has to play a game. Could be any game. Chess, uh, poker, whatever. She she plays hide and seek, turns into a murderous rampage. So, this film, you famously are not a fan of horrors. When we spoke about it last week, you said that you were, you were expecting it to be more of like a thriller. Um, yeah, like sl- slasher thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did you enjoy the film, given that you don't usually like films of this ilk? I thought it was okay. I thought it was going to really revel in a really over-the-top sort of stylized violence, which at times it absolutely does. Like, people getting accidentally shot by crossbows is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Um, I don't think it maintains that tone for the entire 90 minutes, but when it when it is on song- I think it's an awful lot of fun, but I think that it's a bit uneven. My true thoughts, I fucking loved this movie. I don't think I've had more fun with a movie this year. This is the most enjoyable movie I've watched all year. It'd be close. I Like, geez, I thought Parasite was very entertaining as well. But, oh, this is just a fun movie. The... It does such a good job, I think, of blending the comedy with the tension. You would like there is so much comedy in the film that you might think it would be easy to be too light, but I think it does such a good job of balancing that with the tension because the moments that are tense, I find, were really tense and suspenseful. And I, I do think it had a lot of fun with, as you mentioned, like the crossbow, the, the way that they kept accidentally offing the maids was so funny. And it like one of the funniest things about this movie is that you are scared for her. You're genuinely scared for her. But at the same time, the people that are trying to kill her are not experienced murderers. They're, they're wealthy people who I, I could barely butter a sandwich, yet alone murder someone. And- it's it's such a fun premise, I thought. I think there's a little bit of unevenness even within the family members. Um, like, you've got brother-in-law who's really quite goofy. You've got a sister-in-law who's this social ladder climber. And both of those can be can be done really fun. But I, I, I felt like she was playing it so straight, whereas he was going for really kind of oddball that- while I don't dislike either performance of those two, it's it's a part of some of the pieces of the film just not quite gelling for me. Wow. I, I'm, I'm really, really surprised to hear that. To me, I think the commentary on family and, and marriage and, you know, tradition, things like that, I actually think this movie um, has a lot more to say than you might even think at face value. And I think what it says about- you know, family and and family relations, I think is really interesting. And and the way I think it does a lot of that is through the characterizations. Yeah, well I actually think the movie really misses a trick on that front because I was 
after, afterwards, I was like, this could be, it could be quite a fun double feature for 2019 with film you just mentioned earlier, Parasite. Yeah, which is same. that's exactly why it came to my mind. The reason why it doesn't work quite as well for me is that I really don't know why it bothers with the Satan worshipping side of the story. If it was just about these unhinged rich people who were willing to do whatever it takes to maintain their wealth, I think that's actually a lot more fun than like they're actually devil worshippers. They are and they aren't is the thing. They're not necessarily devil worshippers. They're, you know, great They sacrifice goats, mate. And they chant, hey, like, they literally chant, hail Satan. Yeah. What, well, what, what class, what makes you a devil worshipper if that doesn't? No, no, but this is the thing. They, they, don't do, they don't do that on a weekly basis. They haven't done it in 30 <laughs> years. Like, so they're just like people that just go to church at Christmas. No, no, it's true. Like, it, at one point, somebody asks um, Annie McDowell, the mother, you know, like, how do these things usually go? And, and she, she outright says, this has only happened once since I've joined the family. They're not devil worshippers as such. Their great-grandfather made a pact with the devil, and they are so afraid of losing their fortune. And, and even though they have, they have no proof that this thing is real, they believe it so much that, like you say, they will go to any length. So, I don't, I don't see it as them being devil worshippers. Okay, they do chant Hail Satan, so. They do, but again, it's not, they don't do that, they don't do that every day. <laughs> anyway, for me, that's just far less interesting than unhinged wealthy family up against newcomer. That's fair. I've seen that critique quite a bit. I've seen a lot of people say the ending completely loses it for them. Um, for me, I really enjoyed that because I found that- Did you- Were you expecting that was where it was going to go? Did you think that they were actually going to, spoil alert, burst into blood at the end of the film? Yes, I did expect that to happen. Yeah. And I think the reason you expect it is because they believe it so strongly. Because, you know, you are- It's completely batshit crazy. You are supposed to spend the film thinking, well, they're, they're just- They're nuts. <laughs> But they believe it so intensely that about halfway through, you start going, yeah, you know what? I reckon they're right. <laughs> and I think the film kind of drops clues. Like, I, I think it is actually after the first mention of this pact with the devil, we cut to our hero going into the barn with a bunch of goats. Yeah. The symbolism, I didn't think, well, it certainly wasn't lost on me. And I was like, okay, the film, the film wants us to know that this is- actually what's going on here. Yeah. And then she hits a child, which is the right thing to do, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, I know that you hate child actors in films. If it was up to you, that child would have been played by Hugo Weaving with a bowl cut. And if a child actor shoots me, oh. I'm going to respond. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's let's talk acting then, since we're, we're kind of touching on that. Um, what did you think of the performances in the film? Um, I thought Samara Weaving was fantastic, as in the lead, um, you know, she really does have to carry the film and she does it brilliantly, I think. I thought that, uh, Bro is it, is it Brody? What's his name? Adam Brody. Adam Brody. Um, yep. I really liked Adam Brody. Same. In the I film. loved him. Yep. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was significantly stronger as a performance than her new husband, um, Alex. I I'd agree with that. But I mean, so, so little is really expected of him. He's- 
he's kind of the setup, but I mean, for the, the majority of the film, he's chained to a bed. So, yeah, I'm really glad that the film doesn't let Alex off because I don't care that you're not actively trying to kill her, Alex. You're the worst. Yes. Like you, you ran away from this family and then you've got no reason to come. Like you're going to be fine just by yourself with this woman you love. The only reason you've come back to this family, whether you know it or not, is because you're a greedy asshole. Yeah. And you were willing to put your this woman who you love, you were willing to put her life in danger for that money. Like you probably thought, ah, oh, it'll it'll be it'll be chess. It'll be twister. It won't be hide and seek. But you knew it was a chance. Yeah. And you did it anyway. You're the fucking worst, Alex, and I'm so glad you died. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And and I loved that moment later because you do you spend a lot of the film wondering whether she is going to let him off, whether or not the filmmakers will. You you wonder about what she is going to do, and that final turn where he realizes, okay, yeah, no, she's she's done with me anyway. Um, I think that's a really nice touch, and I'm glad that that's the way the film went. Andy McDowell, I thought she was fantastic. I thought it's probably the best I've ever seen Andy McDowell on screen, and that's not a high bar. Oh, mate. <laughs> I've, I've never thought that Andy McDowell was particularly good at her job. Like, I think she's fantastic. She's made a good living out of it and good luck to her. I'll but- tell you what, mate, for a 60-year-old woman, how banging does she look? <laughs> good for you. <laughs> no, I, I thought I thought she was fantastic. I think I, – and both her and the husband, um, he, he's just born to play the, the smarmy, rich, bumbling – you know, father. <laughs> like, yeah, I could actually, I could imagine him in this film being the brother of the character he plays in Mission Impossible. Yeah, I did enjoy him, and I loved um, Scary Auntie. I loved her. Yes, just lurking about, being terrifying. I thought she was great. I mean, you kind of touched on not really enjoying the brother-in-law and sister-in-law. I, I actually really liked them, and I liked the dynamic that you know the actual children were such fuck-ups, but these two who had married into it from nothing were almost even more insatiable and greedy than than the actual siblings the in terms of the production of the like being a six million dollar film i really like the look of particularly the interiors in this movie they've got like i i really like the the lack of fill light that they use they leave a lot of this space in this kind of inky blackness yes and the look of the film is of a quality that makes it surprising that it has a budget of $6 million. Yeah, for a low-budget film to look like this, I think is really, really impressive. I really like the camera work in, like, half the movie and not in half the movie. In fact, it's probably not even 50-50. I think I like more than 50%. Yeah. Um, early on, like, when she's initially hiding and everything, the camera's moving in this almost Fincher-esque, very smooth track work, and it it lends this kind of dispassionate inevitability to what's playing out on screen, I think, uh, which I really liked. And then when the film goes into shaky cam, it really goes into shaky cam, which, as you know, I fucking hate. Well, I was going to say that's one of my pet peeves, and I have to be honest, I didn't notice that at all. I couldn't even point to a scene that had shaky cam. I guess maybe I was just so... Um, into it, I, I really enjoyed the cinematography the whole way. I thought that every every camera movement was very well 
uh, realised and timed with what was happening and why. When she first got out of the house, yeah, there's a section where it's following her along where, in the words of our former boss, was this shot on a fucking boat. <laughs> the section where she escapes actually from the house for a time. Um, Which is quite a lot of the movie, quite a huge chunk. I would have preferred it to be more claustrophobic and that she never actually got out because then that this is a sequence for me which I felt was very much lacking in the gleeful was her up against the butler. I think that segment is great. I, I agree that it's it's not my strongest area of the film and I agree with you that the, the first half when she's inside the house are definitely stronger and, and even the scene with the butler in the kitchen where she escapes, you know, smashing the teapot over his head. Um, that's there's definitely more glee in that, but uh, no, I, I I did really enjoy that segment. Um, so when you say you would have rather her not left the house, is that including the scene in the barn with the child? Yeah, I'm happy to have the scene. I'm happy to have her punch a kid, but just like <laughs> happen, <laughs> just do it in a trophy room or something. Yeah, okay, interesting. I just think like you know, pick any of these films, whether it's a haunted house thing, whatever. Yeah. The being trapped in the house is its own thing. Yeah. That as soon as you, I think it's like a, a bit of a pressure valve releasing once you do actually exit that setting. And then once she's back in the house, I was having a lot more fun again. Yeah. Okay. See, to me, I, I think the film is, it's firmly got, like many great TV sitcoms, it, it's got an A story and a B story. Like, yes. Yes, you have her escaping from them. But on the side of that, you've got some segments that are very much a, a family dynamic comedy, almost almost a family sitcom. It, like the scenes with the family inside could basically be Roseanne if there was an episode of Roseanne where the family were trying to murder someone, <laughs> which knowing Roseanne could actually happen. <laughs> so I, I, was, I, I was actually quite happy because the scenes where she's outside, that's, that is where you have a lot more of the, the family stuff. But, of course, you can just write that in with her hiding in a dumbwaiter if you want. That's true. If she actually found a good hiding spot for 15 minutes, then that can all play out. That's true. I also I do love the fact that she herself is the one who gets out of the dumbwaiter because we've all played hide and seek. It's a boring game. Like, after, like, three minutes, you're like, yeah, all right, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um you make a solid point with the the A plot and the B plot because the A plot of the film, like the premise of the film, is this really cool idea that it's not quite a movie. It's like a cool premise, but you're like, okay, how do we make this actually work for 90 minutes? Like how many times can you have her round a corner, see someone and have to scramble away? But again, I think I think that works due to the ineptness of the killers. Like if if the if this was you know, an action movie where you're supposed to believe that these people are, are experienced killers, then, yeah, th- no, not a chance would that work. But I think so much of the, the fun and gleefulness comes from the fact that these people have zero idea what they're doing. And they're so bound by tradition. They, you know, the scene where you have the brother-in-law watching a YouTube video on, on how to use a crossbow. Yeah, it's good. I think that that is really what makes the premise work, is that these people- They've they've done it once since, you know, they've all been alive. <laughs> and I just think it's it's really fun. As we mentioned before, Parasite, I, I think similar to that, this movie does have a lot of really nice things to say. I think 
it says some really interesting things about you know tradition and why we do certain things. It's literally just because that's the way we were raised. Um, you know, even the scene where you know they they find George and they're like, well, why would you shoot at her? And he's like, well, everyone else was doing it. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's a really nice statement on the way we raise children and and you know the kind of things that we expose them to. Yeah, I agree. And like getting back to what I was saying, I think that's far stronger and much better than Satan worshipping. Yeah, interesting. To me, it all goes hand in hand in the same way that you almost don't think of them really as murderers. Like when they get to the Satan worshipping, they're so inept at it. It's not, it's not the kind of thing that they generally do. Um, but they are so bound by a tradition of, well, this, this is what we have to do or we're all going to die. Um yeah, to me, that's the exact same thing. Satan worshipping aside, how did you feel about the the ending where it turns out that not only they believe the pact is very much real, but it is real and they all explode into into blood? Um, it it was it was fun but silly. Yeah, in some ways, I think what I would have appreciated more had been almost like a self fulfilling prophecy where she murders them all before dawn. I think my like if I was writing the script and just had it completely in my own way, I'm with you. I think have it self-fulfilling, but because the house burns down. Like they mentioned before, there was that other family who they died in the fire and the dad's like, oh, you really think that's what happened? I <laughs> yeah. think it would have been better. Well, yeah, actually that is just what happened because you're fucking stupid. Yeah. And I think that's that's why there are a lot of red herrings in the film. You know, when she does start offing them, particularly when she kills Andy McDowell's character and then after that, you know, the fire starts- um, by that point, I, I was well and truly thinking, okay, yeah, so that is what's going to happen. Um, so, it was an interesting turn then when they did start exploding. And I, I thought, you know, again, on, on the low budget stuff, I, I thought, you know, obviously it's it's meant to look schlocky. I thought that the exploding into blood effect was actually pretty well done. Oh, I was into it. I was into the effect. I thought it was more fun than the end of um, Infinity War. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch and learn, Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why dust? Just explode into blood instead. Yeah. God. <laughs> I feel like, you know, one of the most iconic shots in the film was the moment when Grace grabs the rifle, grabs the bullets, you know, tears off the lower half of her dress and is there in her converse, drenched in blood, missing the sleeve. Like, that is an, that is how you- yeah, we spoke about it when we uh, were talking about Indiana Jones and the kind of silhouette that you recognize him by. That is how, even in a film like this, which I don't think is going to have widespread viewing, that's how you create an iconic character. Like that shot, you could dress as her for Halloween and people who've seen the movie would instantly know who you were. That's a really cool piece of design, I think. The bride. Nah, it's already taken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so it sounds like I'm a lot more positive than you. How are you scoring this? Um, look, I had a fine time. Won't see it again, but I don't want my money back. Five out of ten. The bits of the movie that I like, I really like, um, but it's just not 90 solid minutes for me. Wow. I'm a nine out of ten. For me, this is at the moment a solid contender to certainly make my top ten for the year, if not my top five. And- uh for those keeping score, Billy thinks that Ready or Not is better than both The Godfather and Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> I know. I know. Didn't I give The Godfather a nine? You know what? 
Um, our website, thanks to that really cool guy who keeps it updated. Which one of us is that again? What's a website? <laughs> uh, it has a list of all of our rankings for movies. I'm looking this up because I don't believe you. Okay. Oh, here we go. I'm a nine, good sir. Okay, so my mistake, Billy thinks that Ready or Not is on par with The Godfather. On par, it definitely is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to watch this movie again. I think this is going to be a mainstay in my viewing patterns. I think it's really cool. My wife hates horror movies, so she didn't come to see it with me. But, you know, I think she'd actually really like this movie. So I can't wait to watch it again with her. It's way better than Demolition Man. <laughs> so Demolition Man out of 10. Two. To, all right, cool. Now I have something to put on the website. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this was fun. What are we getting to next week, my friend? Oh, shit. I don't know, mate. Mate. Oh, God. So next week we are- Well, No, we're not actually returning to the franchise. We're going to the sequel to Judgment Day. Yeah, I believe that this is is continuing on from sim- similar to how Superman Returns followed on from Superman Two and ignored Three and Four. That's my understanding of what this is doing. I said to you um, not that long ago that isn't it frightening how bad Dark Fate could be and yet be the third best Terminator film? <laughs> well, from all reports, that's what's happening. I, I I I have not read any reviews in detail, but I did see a headline that said it's confirmed it's the third best Terminator film. <laughs> Oh, well, got that to look forward to. All right. So, I'm looking forward to that, actually. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Go watch a movie. Just not Demolition Man. Mate, I'm only going to leave in the first one then, so you can stop any time you want. <laughs>